as I said, we're in the middle of a series called A Time for Change, A Time to Change. We've been thinking about uh, what that looks like in our lives. We've been thinking about what it means for us uh, to become more like Jesus. And uh, we've been doing that for four or five weeks now. Uh, so if you're a guest or visitor with us today, you're getting in uh, at a different spot, but hopefully you'll still see and gain a bit out of that today and uh, see how you too can be helped in becoming more like Jesus. So as we kick into that, I'm going to pray and then uh, we'll look at this together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how good it is to gather together, spend time uh, encouraging one another, uplifting one another, to be uh, singing, to be praying, to be hearing from your word and to be doing that together, Lord. Uh, We thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we think about what it is to be changed, to be more like Jesus, as we think about uh, what things will help us do that, we pray this morning, Lord, that we'll be people who will be open uh, to your word, open to your spirit at work within us, Lord, uh, to be changed, to be transformed, to be moulded, to be more like Jesus. Uh, we know we can't do that ourselves and we need you, Lord, to do that. And we ask that you'll do that uh, with us and through us uh, this morning, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been doing, uh, looking at change and change is not easy, is it? Change is difficult, change is tough and sometimes we don't like to change and sometimes change we start and then it doesn't get to where we want it to be. Sometimes we start change, we start diets, we start exercise programs, we start lots of things, we don't often get to the end of them. Well, it's the same when it comes to becoming like Jesus too, it's tough, it's not easy. And to help us with that, we've been thinking about a change project. We've been thinking about picking something in our lives, something in our character, something in the way that we respond or act that needs to be changed to become more like Jesus. And I don't know about you, I've got mine, I've shared that with you before, but I don't know about you, but I find that what happens with that change project for me, my change project is that I need to keep reminding myself that I only need to tell the truth. I don't need to exaggerate, I don't need to make things look bigger or better than what they are to make me look good. So that's been my change project and I've been working on that and thinking about that. Uh, and I don't know about you, but my change project, I'll have a couple of steps forward and I think I'm going great and then there'll be a step back and I think, ah, oh, darn, I've done it again. I've missed out a bit of information or I've said something or I've made something look just a little bit better than maybe what it is. Uh, it's tough, isn't it? A couple of steps forward, one step back. How do we help with that? What do we do with that? Well, what we've been looking at through this series, I think, I hope has been helpful for you and it's been really helpful for me. And the first thing we realised or the first thing we looked at is that first and foremost, our identity has to be wrapped up in Jesus, in Christ first, in who he is. Because if we're not wrapped up in him, then we get wrapped up in everyone else and what they think of us and what they decide of what it's about and what's going on out there. Whereas when we know who we are in Jesus, that we're loved, that we're a child of God, that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that we are part of God's community, that we can call him Dad, have a father. And that gives us a whole new range of being able to relate to people, doesn't it? Because no longer is it just about making me feel good. I am in Jesus, all in him. So understanding our identity in him was the first thing the thing. The next thing we could do that our heart needed to be changed because what happens on the inside really is what comes out of us, isn't it? Jesus says what's in the heart of the man is what comes out. What's from the outside can't, doesn't make us impure. It's what's on the inside 
that makes him pure. It's our heart that needs to be changed. And that's under reconstruction. It needs to be changed. And then we learn that we need to turn from the lies to the truth of God. I think for me, this one has probably been one of the most helpful ones for me. Because what we looked at is the four bits about God, didn't we? We looked at that God is great, so I don't need to be in control. Now that's tough, isn't it? Because we love to be in control. But I don't have to be, because God's great. He's got it in control. Uh, God is glorious, so I don't need to fear anyone else. I don't need to fear anyone else's opinion of me. Because God is glorious. He's better than all of them. God is good, so I don't need to look for satisfaction anywhere else. It's all in him. And God is gracious, so I don't need to prove myself. So I don't need to have to try and get right with God. God makes me right with himself through Jesus, and I need to rest in that. I have to try and be good, try and do all the things to make God love me. He loves me in Jesus. I want to please him because he loves me, not to be right with him. That changes everything, doesn't it? Those four things, I think, for me, have been the things that have really helped me on my change project. And then we've also found out that that change needs to keep happening, doesn't it? It needs to keep happening and keep going. And we need to keep reminding ourselves of those things all the time. But it's not easy, is it? We need things to help us with that. And so over the next two weeks, we'll be looking at some helps. Things that can help us in that change. It's like the, the construction side up there, isn't it? You know, change is there, it's not easy, it's hard, but sometimes it's good to have a bit of scaffolding. Sometimes it's good to have someone do a bit of lifting for us, a crane here and there to help us with that. And so that's what we're looking at over the next two weeks. Uh, so if you've got your service sheets, if you flip it over the back, I know there's a bit of a summary for us, but it catches us up to where we are. Uh, there's a, an outline for today for us. And the first thing that helps us change is that we need to recognise that sin is serious. We need to recognise that sin is serious, that it actually is something that needs to be done about, something needs to be changed. Because I think we live in a world really which it's really hard to work out what's right and wrong often, isn't it? Uh, Our moral bearings are all over the place. It's a bit like someone's gone and grabbed... Well, we'll jump backwards on that one. Someone has grabbed, uh, we've got our compass of the direction of where we're supposed to go, but they've gone and stuck a magnet beside it. Have you ever seen what a magnet does to a compass? It just spins it and sends it in all sorts of directions. You don't know where you're going and what you're doing. Uh, we live in a world where what's right for you might be right for you, but not right for me. And you can do what you want over there, but oh, I don't have to do that. And you, know, you can't tell me what to do. It's all about me and what do I want to do and how I want to do it. And so therefore, truth becomes very, very fluid, doesn't it? Right and wrong becomes very, very hazy. And so we live in a world that has almost thrown that all into chaos for us. And to a point what that has done, it has diminished our idea of what sin is. In some senses, we don't really know what it is anymore. Uh, we get confused about it and what it's about. Uh, but we know from the Bible, when you look at the Bible, the, the key thing about sin is that we've put ourselves at the centre of everything, the world and everything else rotates around us and even God rotates around us. The key part of sin is saying that I'm in control of my life and I know what's best and God, will you just stay out there for a little while? And I'll go to you when I need you but really it's me who's in control. And we're going to read from Genesis a little bit later and we're going to see that that's exactly what happens right back in the beginning. 
And so what happens is that when we put ourselves, we become what's on it. And so we end up loving ourselves and in the end we actually love things greater than God. And we love to do things that God wouldn't want us to do. And it works out and it goes out in that way, whereas really it should be the other way around. God should be at the centre and we're on the outside. Yeah, we're important, we're part of God's plan, but God needs to be at the centre of it. What he says and what he decides is what's most important. And so when we decide to do other things other than that, that's what sin is. Now sometimes we like to say, well, sin is just all the big ones, murder, uh, sexual immorality, all these sorts of stuff. Well, that may be true, uh, but that, that's not all it is. There are only consequences of when we've stuck ourselves in the centre and moved God on the outside. And so we need to get God back into the centre and have him at the, at the forefront because it's, that's where it's most important. That's where it all happens. And so how do we do that? Well, we need to trust God, don't we? We need to trust God in it and we ask Jesus to take control of that and he comes in and he does take control and we try and live for him. But as we try and live for him, it still gets tricky, doesn't it? Because we still try to send ourselves back into the centre again. We still try to make us at the the centre and make us make the decisions rather than looking to God and what he says about things. And we need to repent of that. We need to turn around from that. Because if God has made everything, if God is in control of everything, then he's the one who knows what it should be like, isn't he? So we need to come back to him. And you see, God takes sin seriously, very, very seriously, because he sent Jesus to deal with it. If you've had any thoughts about sin being, oh, it doesn't really matter, then you're going to think, well, why on earth would God send Jesus to do anything about it? But he does, doesn't he? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ so love, oh, so for Christ also, I went back to John 3 16, look at that, very quickly, didn't I? Uh, 1 Peter 3 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. You see, Jesus died because sin is serious. Sin separates us from God. Sin impacts our lives and means we live apart from God and against God and it destroys everything. Destroys everything. Destroys us, destroys relationships and destroys our eternity. And so God says it's serious and so he does something about it and he sends Jesus to die for that sin, to bring us to God so that we can have a relationship with him forever. That's how serious it is. And he wants us to live in relationship with him now. And he wants us to understand that sin still impacts us now and understanding the seriousness of sin now helps us to deal with sin now too in our lives. You see, for us to change, to continue to change, one of the helps that God has given us is to recognise that sin is serious. That's funny, isn't it? We think, oh... You know, what's the help God given us? He's given us Jesus here to deal with sin. He's given us the Holy Spirit to live within us within that. But he's also given us his word that shows us how to live for God and he shows us that what we do impacts what happens around us. And when we disobey him, sin impacts all that. And when we don't take that seriously, then we don't change. You see, the big issue why I don't change and why I don't take a step forward every day and keep stepping back because I don't take sin seriously enough. 
because I do three things with it. I justify it, I minimise it, or I hide it. I justify it, I minimise it, or I hide it. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did right back in the beginning. It's taken us a while to get there, but get your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 13. Hamish is going to come up and read that for us. And have a look and think about how Adam and Eve tried to justify, minimise and hide their sin. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of of them were opened and they realised that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they did and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from that tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Great couple of passages, isn't it? And uh, did you see it? Did you see the justifying? Did you see the minimising? Did you see the hiding? Well, let's have a look at it and see what they did. Uh, first of all, maybe. Uh, justifying. For us to change, we need to stop justifying our sin. Uh, we do it so often, don't we? We justify just about everything. Uh, what did Adam and Eve do? Oh, well, they said, Adam said, look, God, it's not my fault. It's actually your fault, God. Do you notice that? He didn't actually even blame the woman, ultimately. He said, the woman that you put here with me. You see that? He actually said, no, 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 that's not just the woman's fault. It's God, mate, you're the, you're the problem. You stuck this woman here with me. Your fault that I sinned. How often do we do that? God, man, now you stuck me in this little town. It's your fault that I go down and drink all weekend because there's nothing else to do here. Oh, God, it's your fault that you stuck me with this bloke. Fair dinkum, he's hopeless. He's the worst ever. He's pathetic. You made me marry him. You stuck him with me. You brought him into my life. Oh, God, you're, it's your fault. You got someone to have the brains to invent the internet and then put all that porn on there. It's your fault, God. 
That's subtle, isn't it? But we do actually blame God a lot, don't we? We justify it. We say, it's your fault, not mine. And sometimes we not just blame God, but we blame the circumstances. So Adam decided to blame the woman. The woman decided to blame the certain. And the certain said, man, I'm in trouble. I'm out of here. And had to take off. And we do that too, don't we? We justify and say, well, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. I can get angry on the sports field because it's all about justice. That ref's wrong. I need to tell him that he's wrong. You know, that's a justice issue. Pathetic, isn't it, really? I'm talking about myself here. We, we do it, though, don't we? You know, you, you come in and, and you think about it and you, you justify, no, look, I was really tired. I was just really tired and I blew up, but it was because I was tired. Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm not good when I'm hungry. Give me food and I'm okay. Then I won't sin. They took the apple, they ate it, and they still sinned, didn't they? We've got to stop justifying. We've got to stop saying, well, it's because of someone else or it's because of this circumstance or it's because of you, God. No, it's us. We're the ones. We need to recognise it and we need to repent of it. Because, you see, God is really very gracious to us because he always provides a way out for us. Always provides a way out. No temptation is overtaking you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. So, by the way, guys, you cannot say, I am the only one who's ever experienced this. I'm the only one who's been tempted this way. I'm the only one that's got this problem. No, 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 there's lots of people who've got it. Lots of people are tempted and lots of people fall. But God provides a way out, doesn't he? And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That is a wonderful promise. But we've got to have our eyes open to look for it, don't we? That person's starting to gossip down the street and you get into the conversation, well, you know, there is a way out. You can either close your mouth and you say, hey, look, I don't really need to hear that. I'm out of here. You might even say, well, actually, you know, the dog's barking. I can hear it back at home. I need to go and help them out. No, don't tell a lie. But, you know, there, there are ways out, aren't there? There are opportunities out. You can flick the button on the computer and turn it off. You actually can turn your phone off. Kids under the age of 18, it ha- can happen. It's okay. And you don't have to have your phone beside you 24-7 or up to your ear. We can make decisions, can't we? You can get in that car and drive away. You can close your mouth and not speak. You can open your mouth and speak. We have always got options. God always provides a way out. So let's stop justifying. Let's thank God for the way out and let's take it so that we can change to be more like Jesus. What about minimising it? Stop minimising our sins. Stop making it look smaller. So what did, uh, what did the serpent say to Eve when he said, you know, eat that, eat the fruit? And uh, Eve says, no, 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 God says if I eat of that, I'm going to die. What does he say? No, 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 it's not as bad as that. Look, it's not that bad. Seriously, you're not going to die. Actually, it's going to be better than that. You're going to have your eyes open. You're going to be like God. But it does, doesn't it? No, 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 it's not as bad. It's okay if we just download a bit of extra stuff off the internet without paying for it because it's illegal. Because, you know, it's not too bad to do that, is it? 
we don't have to declare everything to the tax department. That's okay, isn't it? Look, I don't have to tell the whole truth to anybody. I can keep a little bit back, can't I? I don't really have to do that. We minimise it, don't we? We bring it down. And the hard thing is when we bring it down to the small stuff, if we compromise on the small stuff, the things that we don't think count as much, it becomes a habit. And when the big stuff comes, it's not that hard to do. Because we've done all this little stuff. That's okay, that's okay, that's okay, that's okay, that's okay. All this big stuff. Oh, I I can do that. We've got to stop minimising our sin. We need to turn from that. Don't get sucked into what Satan's saying to us. It, it does not open your eyes. It does kill. Even the small stuff Jesus died for. Jesus just didn't die for murder, rape, war, pillaging. He died for gossip. He died for stinginess. He died for small little lies. He died for those little breaking the law. He died for all of that because all of that breaks our relationship with God. Let's stop minimising it because if we we stop minimising it, then that will help us to change because actually then we will start to become more like Jesus. Stop justifying, stop minimising and stop hiding sin. What is the very first thing that Adam and Eve do after they've taken the fruit and eaten it? It's, a real, it's an amazing play on words if you read it. It goes, and their eyes were opened and they naked. And what do they do? They hid. Isn't that amazing? Their eyes are opened and they think, oh man, I'm naked. You would have thought if their eyes were opened and like God, then everything's perfect, isn't it? It's all good. I could look at you naked and it'll be fine. I don't want to do that, but you could look at you naked and it'll be fine. All right? Be okay. But isn't that interesting? They open their eyes and suddenly they hide. They hide their bodies. And what do they do when God walks in the garden? They hide themselves. You see, the temptation is, isn't it? If we go off and do whatever we want, if we sin and do whatever we like, then we're going to have freedom, it's going to be open. Hey man, it's going to be good, but in reality it's hide, cover up, don't show, retreat back, back into yourselves and you're not open with each other and we're not open with God. It destroys. Uh, Someone once said that uh, sin is like mould and it grows in the dark. So true, isn't it? Sin is like mould, it grows in the dark. It's when we hide it, when we cover it up, when we keep it back, when we don't reveal it, it grows and it festers and it eats away like mould within us and makes us sick. Physically, spiritually, relationally. It destroys. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. I tell you, it's not easy, is it? But it's true. If we open up to God first what we try to hide and ask him for forgiveness, we find mercy. 
mercy and grace and forgiveness and love and restoration with him and with each other. One of, the, one of the things about the Catholic Church that sometimes we are a bit unsure of, us Protestants tend to sort of keep the Catholics over here a little bit sometimes. I think they're a little bit to the side. We're a little bit different. But they do one thing I think is really good uh, is that they confess sin. Now, I don't think you have to do it to a priest. I don't think that's the option. God says we need to confess sin to him and to each other. And that's not easy, is it? Because we love our reputation, don't we? We love people to think that we're pretty good. That's my sin, isn't it? That's my challenge as well. We love people and we don't like to reveal to them that we're not. But can I give you one great tip? None of us are. None of us are as good as we'd like to think we are or we'd like to portray we are. None of us. And every one of us is struggling with something. So we're not to keep it hidden, guys. We're not to hide it. We are to confess it to God. He knows it anyway, by the way. Don't you think we're hiding it? Now, God can't see this because I'm in the dark and the computer's facing my way. I'm in the dark in a room with someone else. I'm in the dark down the corner so no one else can see what's going on. God sees all of it, guys. You can't close the door on God. He sees everything. He sees everything and he sent Jesus to die for everything because that's how much he loves you. But he gives us each other too. Now, I'm not saying go around and tell everyone your darkest sins, okay? But I would encourage you to pick someone who you know, who you love, who you trust, who you know is a godly person, someone that you feel safe with, and confess it to them. Because when we bring it into the light, we reveal it. And it helps get, to get rid of it. It helps us to change that. Because you can ask them to be accountable to them. You can ask them to say, hey, ask me about that later. I'm really struggling with this at the moment. Can you pray for me with this? And ask me down the track how I'm going with that. That's scary, isn't it? But can I tell you, it's liberating as well. When you do that, it lifts. Because when you conceal it, we don't prosper. That is, we don't live like the God, way God would like us to live. But when we reveal it, then we find mercy and grace and forgiveness and restoration. Here's some things that help us change, guys. That we take sin serious. Because you remember that as we do that, there is no sin that God cannot forgive and no sin that God will not deal with and no sin that God will not, will not work with you to defeat. You see, God doesn't want you to be overtaken by that. That's why he sent Jesus to deal with it, to take it on the cross. That's why he sends the Holy Spirit to us to live within us, to change us, to expel it, to get rid of it. He doesn't want us to be hiding. He doesn't want us to be minimising. He doesn't want us to be justifying. He wants us to be living in the light of who he is. Because there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more. There's nothing we can do to make God love us less. He loves us and he gave us Jesus and he wants us to become everything that he planned for us to be and that is to become more like Jesus in who we are, in every way. Uh, and 
know whether you watched The Simpsons, I know whether you saw the episode of Bart and Homer who got uh, shipwrecked out at sea and they were in their dinghy and while they were out there, uh, Homer wastes all the water by uh, washing his socks in it and then tipping it out. Uh, then when a, a plane came flying over, he got the flare and shot it and shot the plane down and then as uh, time went on, it got worse and worse and worse and then the fog rolled in and Homer got really scared and he got panicky and he was screaming, what are we going to do, what are we going to do, this is terrible, it's all going crazy and then the fog went away and a boat came up beside him and a bloke leaned over the side and said, how are you going guys, do you need a hand? Nah, we're right mate. Well, they didn't use mate because that would have been an Australian one. He says, nah, we're right. And the boat goes off, the fog comes back in, oh no, we're going to die. How often are we like that? How often are we in the middle of it and we're destroying things and making a mess of everything and then when someone comes with a bit of help, no, no, I'm I'm okay. I'm all right. We need help, don't we? We need help to change. God has said to us that he's there to help us. He's given Jesus to die for us. He's given the spirit to live within us. And he's giving us his word to show us what he wants us to do. And within that he shows us that we are not to justify. We need to remember to take sin seriously. We're not to justify it. We're not to minimise it. We're not to hide it. But within all of that, we're to realise that sin is a lie that will not open our eyes. But makes us hide and closes us. You see, we need to replace the expectation, the temptation and the allure of sin with something far brighter and far better. It's a bit like if you ever see a young child playing with a rusty old knife and they're out in the back yard or something and you're looking at it and they're holding it. Now, one thing you could do, you could race at them yelling, don't do that, that's strange, that's strange. And then the next one they'll run and then shunk, take out their eye or their arm or something like that. The best way to get a young child who's got a rusty knife and looks dangerous in their hand to get rid of it safely is to offer them something better. Is to offer them something. Give them a toy. Give them something that is better than a knife. You see, God has offered us something far better than a rusty knife. Far better than sin. He's offered himself in Jesus. He wants us to have our vision on him, to be captured by a better vision, to be captured by Jesus. And when we're captured by him, we won't justify sin, we won't minimise it, we won't hide from it, and we'll be changed to be more like Jesus. Let's pray that we're captured by him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's not a popular thing to be talking about sin, talking about rebelling against you and going our way and not yours. But Lord, we can't get away from its consequences. When we just look around the world, this world is being destroyed by it. When we look at our own lives, we're being tainted by it, we're being eaten away by it, Lord. But Lord, we want to thank you and praise you that in Jesus you have dealt with it. In Jesus, all that seriousness, the seriousness of sin has been taken upon him on the cross. 
And when he cries out, he's finished. He's dealt with all of it. We want to praise you and thank you for that, Lord. And we want to thank you, Lord, that you want us to live in the light of that. You want to live, want us to live to become more and more like him. The one who, who did no sin, who committed no sin, and no sin was found on his mouth. Lord, we pray that we can become like him, like Jesus. And Lord, you've shown us in your word, you've taught us through your word, that to help us change, we need to take sin seriously. Help us, Lord, by your spirit, not to justify, not to minimise, and not to hide from you, Lord, and hide from sin. Lord, we pray that by your spirit, through your word, you'll help us to capture a better vision of Jesus so that we won't go down that path, so we'll be captured by him and not sin. Lord, we thank you for those you've placed around us to help us to do that. May we, Lord, love one another so well that we are willing to share and willing to ask for others to help us fight and defeat sin in our lives too, Lord, so that we can be changed to be more like your son, Jesus. Help us with that, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.